0: go. This is Silicon Reel, the video podcast dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I am Brian Rose. I also host London Reel, which is a similar uh, trialogue, three-person format. We just had uh, Bruce Perry from the BBC series Tribe here. Uh, We've had Tim Ferriss, the four-hour workweek guy. And uh, we've had a few athletes recently. And since Andrew's here, I thought I'd mention them. We had Kelly Starrett, who uh, opened up one of the very first CrossFit gyms in America like nine years ago. And uh, we've had, of course, Dan Hardy, the uh, fighter in the UFC as well
1: and a whistleblower recently and a whistleblower
0: here yeah. you for that so yeah, yeah it's all that kicking cool. off at London Real come check us out but we are here to talk Silicon so uh, let me welcome my co-host which is entrepreneur Colin Pyle who comes to London from Canada uh, sometimes going through uh, various exotic countries like China and India riding sometimes. a motorcycle for months on end yeah uh, you'll be on Travel Channel with your India ride soon is that right? yeah it just come,
1: should come out first quarter next year yeah cool man. So looking forward good. to that yeah.
0: I really like your China ride so yeah. thanks for being here and um, thanks for also doing Double Duty on London Real. Awesome. Last few weeks. So uh, cool, man. Our our guest today is Mr. Andrew McDonough. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. You're the co-founder and CTO of Tribe Sports, uh, which is a social network for sports people. I believe it's uh, connecting active people everywhere in the world to revolutionize the sportswear industry pretty good?
2: That is, yeah. That's that's close anyway. All right. I'm not <laughs> done.
0: I'm going to keep going. Um, you recently completed a, a Kickstarter campaign, which was in August, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you raised, a, correct me on the number, like £120,000? Yeah, so it like was just,
2: just a smidgen under 120000
0: Okay. Um. Very quickly, right? In a week or two?
2: Uh, yeah, it was. So it was four weeks we went for. So we'd set a target of £30,000. Uh, we hit that in about a day and a half. And then, uh, you know, it just kind of picked up the pace. And then at the end, it was just under... Four times what we had aimed for, so was, uh, we were pretty happy. That's crazy. <laughs> we're
0: definitely going to talk about that. Um, I know you raised the money uh, in order to create the world's first community powered sportswear range. I took a look at your stuff. I like it already. Um, before that, you I think you raised just under three million dollars from angels and uh, strategic investors in like That's December correct, yeah. of two thousand eleven.
2: Absolutely, so, yeah.
0: Awesome. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, you very know,
2: much. Thanks for having me. I, I think we got
0: to talk right about, about, right away about this Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Because like when I heard about it, I was like, oh, okay, another company that's using Kickstarter to get themselves out of the basement and to get out there and launch a product. And then I'm like, wait a second, these guys have already raised a chunk of capital. So you, these guys are, are doing this for a different reason, obviously. So I was wondering why the Kickstarter, um, why was it oversubscribed in your opinion? And, uh, and why not an, an equity-based platform?
2: Well, so as far as an equity-based platform, that's not really what we were looking for. We already had investors uh, in the company. Uh, We, having gone through this period of uh, running a sports social network to encourage people to do more sport and be more active, uh, one of the things that people came to us time and time again saying was, you know, we, we find it really hard to find affordable equipment and particularly apparel. They were finding that they were spending a lot of money or sometimes if they couldn't afford it, they were having to compromise in quality and going for low-cost low things which just weren't performing very well. Uh, so we, we started to look into the market, and we found that whenever the major brands were making their sports gear, a large chunk of the money, probably about 40%, was going on above-the-line advertising on big-money celebrity endorsements, on bricks-and-mortar stores, and on all the middlemen along the supply chain, so the the wholesalers to the shops. And so we we discovered that, actually, it wasn't necessary for sports apparel to be as expensive as it is, and that it would be possible for us to manufacture uh, right from scratch. So the stuff that we're making is not our logo printed on somebody else's uh, kit. This is all our own stuff uh, designed by uh, sports apparel designers who've worked at some of the major brands, uh, we've got fabric technologists working with us, uh, basically bringing us the, uh, the, the best fabrics, the most cutting-edge fabrics in the market, and we're able to deliver a product uh, to the uh, end user uh, at 30 to 40% less than, than before. We, we obviously thought this was a great idea, uh, and we knew that people would like this, but we, weren't, you know, we needed to know that they were definitely going to buy it. Uh, there was no point, because obviously to, the, the factories that we're using don't really deal uh, with small players. They, they are looking at, uh, you know, if, if you're going to do this, you've got to go big. So we needed to make sure that we had the backing of our community, uh, it's a very big community, but we needed to make sure that they were going to back us. How big is your
1: community? Uh, so
2: the total number of users is about 200,000. Okay. Uh, they're very active and very engaged. Right. Particularly our top users are on the site all the time. It's, it's kind of a way of life for them. They, mm. they almost define themselves as, as tribe sports people. Uh, if you look at things like their Twitter profiles or other presence online, that they actually, a lot of these people are actually saying, I am a Tribe Sports user. That, mm. that kind of defines them. Are these Brits or uh, Yanks? No, or actually, Ports so are... our user base is actually, it's, it's around the whole world. Uh, it divides down about 40% of the US, uh, 30% are the UK, and then 30% rest of the world. So we see Sounds ourselves... like as our audience,
0: <laughs> pretty much, exactly.
2: So we yeah. see ourselves a global platform, and okay. we see the, the sports brand as well as a global platform. And that's why on Kickstarter, when we were offering... This, we opened it up to everybody with free shipping to both the UK and the US, uh, and then just a small token amount for the rest of the world, uh, because it's a bit more expensive to get that out there. So we're definitely with this, launching it as a a worldwide brand, uh, but targeting particularly the UK and the US. And uh, yeah, so uh, our users were telling us this is what we want, want to see. The Kickstarter campaign was firstly a way of raising some money to be able to put the order in, uh, and also to just make sure that this this was not just something that people were telling us to do, but that they were, were going to back us on it as well.
0: Right. Now, I guess nothing nothing shows that more than someone actually paying up, right? Yeah. That shows Pre-buying, that not, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not just a vote or a retweet or something. It's actually, uh, I guess, vote with your money, right? Yeah. So now it's oversubscribed. What do you do with extra money? What does that tell you? Does it tell you you're, you need to make more of this stuff, do more of these campaigns or what? It
2: does, yeah. So when we saw that the campaign was going well, it allowed us to place orders for more variation of products. So it meant that in the beginning it was just the technical tease, but we were able to add a couple more products to the Kickstarter campaign because we knew that it was enough money to be able to place the orders for those products as well. Then as it increased as well, we uh, were able to investigate uh, doing more colours and and more variations on the products. So all of the money went back into the products uh, and that—that that is the way that we see it going, in that this this money is going to be plowed back into developing new products and, and to investigating other other products across other sports uh, that we want to make as well.
0: Wow, that's a really, really cool idea. And that's great PR for you, right?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, Kickstarter was a great platform in that way, in that uh, we got a lot of press off the back of it. Uh, we were... Uh, yeah featured on a lot of different sort of not just tech journalism, but for us actually because we don't really see ourselves as completely a tech company, we see ourselves as more of a consumer company in that our our target audience is is more the sort of normal people on on the street it's not the it's not the kind of tech scene. Uh, so much. Although there is quite a bit of crossover as well. Obviously, a lot of people in the tech scene, uh, such as yourselves, are are very keen on on you know keeping fit and keeping active and, and also measuring it as well.
0: Interesting. You know, we, uh, I want to jump into Tribe and find out a bit more about it. We always ask people some some basic questions, which is when it comes to Tribe Sports, what have you guys done? What are you planning to do? And and why why will you win in this space?
1: <laughs> uh and it's a massive space. Like that's, I think yeah. that's fascinating. Because what you did before, was, I think it was unique, relatively unique. And now getting into the apparel wear, you're going up against some pretty big we are, competitors. We're, we're right? doing the numbers,
0: like 250 million people. Is that your potential consumer base? or?
2: Well, I mean, it's, 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 more, it's bigger than that, yeah. really. Right. Because, yeah. you know, sure. who, who doesn't do at least some sport? And it's also, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, for us, it's about education as well in that we're, we're not targeting, when we say it's performance sports, where... We're not just targeting elite athletes we're targeting normal sports people as in normal people who just you know they're they're at home they maybe go out for a run once a week once every two weeks and quite a lot of the time people who are doing this are doing it in uh, clothing that isn't really suitable for this Uh, so a lot of people when they start running uh, pick up a cotton t-shirt and that's possibly the worst thing to go running in because you know you start to sweat the sweat basically makes the t-shirt really heavy it doesn't get wicked away from your body they feel really uncomfortable and so they're less likely to do it again so it's it's for us it's as well about so the democratization of performance wear and educating people that performance sports wear isn't just for elite athletes or people who are doing it competitively but it's also just the normal people in the street who should be wearing uh, these sorts of uh, clothing whenever they you know just go down to the gym go for a run go for a cycle or, or do anything else like that
0: so you mentioned um 200,000 users in your community so just to get so people can get an idea what tribe's all about um you know what have you guys done you set up this kind of this social network for these for people in sports and yeah like I said why, why do you think you guys have the solution to this space
2: Uh, We believe we have a solution to make people be encouraged to be more active. Uh, It certainly worked for me. I mean, I I think that one of the nicest things about our site is that I can genuinely say that it's worked for me. I I wasn't doing a lot of sport before the site. It was something that I was really interested in. Uh, I'd done a lot of sport in school, but, you know, in my 20s, I'd uh, become not particularly active. Uh, I'd always made the excuses, a lot of people do, that I don't have the time. Um, And I discovered through our own website that actually you can find the time. And it's not just finding an hour and a half to go to the gym where you're having to go through the whole taking a shower, getting there, getting back. A lot of the stuff on our website is showing people that it's possible to keep pretty fit by doing exercises at home, exercises in the office, uh, finding little ways of hacking their day uh, by taking sporting challenges, which is one of the core elements of our website, and, and finding ways of using those to stay active and to keep fit. Uh, so we're, we're kind of trying to do something different from, from what is the traditional fitness industry, which I... I think the fitness industry. There's a lot of bad things about it. I think that the traditional high street gym is is not really possibly the best work, best approach for a lot of people because that they a lot of the time make some of their money by uh, getting people signed up to contracts and hoping that they, they don't, don't go.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a big thing. I mean, sure. everyone showed up to the gym who had a membership uh, like that would work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it exactly. must be like 10% of the people use it, or maybe 20, I don't know what the numbers are. Like. Yeah, it's it's a
2: guilt long. thing as well yeah. in that people people sign up yeah. and yeah. then they, they don't the, do it.
1: Yeah, January. But instead of
2: cancelling, January. you know, there are a lot of social hooks in it, like yeah. sign up fees and sure. cancellation fees, long contracts, and so they, they feel a bit guilty about it. So, so tribe sports is—it's not a substitute for the gym, uh, but it's showing people that they don't necessarily need a gym. They could do a gym, whatever works for you. Uh, so we feel that we—that our website can show anybody how. To be more active, and show them the encouragement uh, to do so.
0: And what what is your business model? Obviously, you're, you're you're making your own gear now. I mean, before that, is this like a community that you monetize in very traditional ways, so advertising that kind of thing? Or
2: uh, so we we actually the one of one of the ways that we were originally making some money uh, was uh, through helping people find sports products online. Uh, so we would. Help them uh, find say tennis rackets or running shoes, or as we are selling now, uh, some you know sports apparel or so things like technical t shirts cycling gear, that sort of thing, so we weren't actually selling it ourselves, but we were indexing you know something like three million sports products in the u k and the u s and helping people do things like uh, you know price comparison, finding advice and recommendation on that uh, we We find that that worked. Pretty well for us, but it wasn't. We were, we were finding that some of the focus on it was taking us away from the focus on what we cared about most, which was building a really active and engaged community. Uh, we also have some advertising on the site, uh, but at the moment we're actually focusing more on building building the sports
1: brand. Okay. What uh, what made you get involved in Tribe Sports at the very beginning? Was it your inactivity in your in your twenties or? Uh, a little bit. Story.
2: So sport has always been a passion for me in that before Tribe Sports, I was working at another company building, building sports websites. Uh, the way it all started was actually I met Steve, who is the CEO, uh, through a mutual friend. Uh, so at the time, the, the kind of the start of Tribe Sports is that the three other co-founders other than myself were working at a startup called MyDeco. Uh, the most, the most interesting thing about my deco is it was, uh, founded by Brent Hoberman who made a lot of money by selling LastMinute.com, uh, which was one of Europe's
1: most successful, uh, Exists. tech, tech yeah. exits. Yeah. Uh, so he made who a lot of money that? Who about that. It went public, I think. Oh, did it? it? Yeah. I think okay. so. Right, cool. He's at pro Founders. That's yeah. He is. Yeah. 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 I think it went public. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: So he was—he had obviously sold that, and his first venture after uh, after selling LastMinute.com was to start a a company called MyDeco, and MyDeco are a company focusing on furniture and helping people find furniture online. So, say for example, you uh, need a sofa and you want it to be, you know, between two and three meters long and red and leather. It would help you again find that product online and do you know, comparison of various features. Uh, and it was it was a company that grew quite a lot. I think they, they had quite a lot of people working there. And uh, my co-founders were all, the other three were working there. So Steve was their head of finance. Uh, he's now the CEO of Tribe Sports. Uh, David was the head of legal and strategy there. And he'd also been the in-house lawyer at lastminute.com through their IPO. So uh, quite a lot of knowledge in that. And then Jenna had been their, their head commercial person there. Uh, so Steve decided that he wanted to leave and do a startup. His passion was sport in that he uh, has done multiple Ironmans and various double marathons and, and crazy things like that. So he decided that he would take uh, what he knew from MyDeco, which was this, this idea of finding products online and trying to apply it to sport. Uh, he, at the time, needed a technical person uh, to join the team to, to build the website. Uh, and through a mutual friend, uh, I I met him. I was actually working on an idea at the time uh, in my spare time, which was a similar sort of model, which was helping people find uh, clothes online. So say, for example, you want to find a pair of jeans that are 32-inch and 34-leg. You would be able to use this software to do that. I'd been working on it, but hadn't launched anything, and it was the same sort of technology that he would need uh, to to basically uh, sell to, to find these sports products. So I, I had coffee with him. Uh, I went away and built uh, a prototype, a very very basic prototype over the weekend. Uh, he he liked it a lot and uh, saw that we would work very well together. So asked me to join the company as as uh, the, the technical co-founder and the CTO.
1: It's four years ago. That's that's just Three, under four years ago. Four years yeah. ago. Okay. It's amazing when you know, a lot of people think. Just turn these around quickly, and here you guys are four years later, now getting into an, a whole new sure sort yeah. of pile of mess potentially. Yeah, like it's well not not bad, but yeah you yeah, know, it's just like you're not exiting; you're starting over again almost. It's, right? it's not
2: it's not so much starting over again, and yeah. for us, the social network is still absolutely core to sure. us. Uh, it's it's core to our community. Uh, the, of course, the, the, the sports products and finding people uh, sports products from other retailers isn't isn't core anymore, and in fact, it would clash. With our current business model, and that people couldn't, other retailers wouldn't really want us uh, showing their own products alongside ours because we're obviously going to be cheaper. <laughs> we're going to be cheaper uh, yeah. and, and better. Uh, so that that's one of the reasons we decided to remove that that aspect of the site. Uh, so yeah, we the journey was that that sports product um, side of it, as as a standalone thing, was only really the first element that we were kind of working on for. You know, a month or two, and it became clear that there was a much bigger opportunity, which was to build this this social network to encourage people to do more sport and be more active. We didn't think that anything else existed like it, uh, and it, it still doesn't. And so we we set about building that as well as this this uh, ability to find find sports products as well.
0: Okay. Well, they call this Silicon Real, so so let's get real with some real questions. How, how do you compete against a Nike? They're big, they got money, they could probably create their own social network, you know, with a rounding error of one of their revenue streams. So how how do you fight these guys?
2: Well, so when you're big, you're also slow. So we're able to be very much quicker and more agile in that we can respond to what our community is telling us. Much more quickly. So, companies, some of the big sports brands, they're, they're planning years in advance, and they are they can be less reactive to the market than we can. They also are tied into the the way that these things work. So, uh, their big celebrity endorsements, you know, they're they're paying people, you know, like Rory McIlroy, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year, sure. and they can't really cut that off. They're, those those costs that are in there are, are there to stay. They're they're not going to suddenly pull the plug on all above-the-line advertising and all celebrity endorsements because that, that's, how they're, that, that's how they operate. So they would never really be able to compete with us on price unless they decided to do that really drastic, and for them that would be a very risky thing because that's, that's what they've, they've built their business model on.
0: Okay, fair enough. What do you got for them, Comment. Yeah,
1: so if, if you're not worried about the big guys, and what about a lot of the little guys that are in your space? Maybe not exactly in your space, but... Um, are kind of doing the same thing. So one of the yeah. things
2: that we've discovered with this is it's not easy to launch a sports brand. Mm. It's not easy to open up conversations with the f- kind of factories that we're working with. Sure, if you're small, uh, you can maybe get some cheap stuff made uh, by some you know, th- second or third level uh, manufacturers. But to actually have these serious conversations with The the big factories that are working with the big sports brands, you you need to have a big voice. And through our community, we have that big voice. And it wouldn't be possible to have had those conversations with them without without the community
1: and and the backing that we have. So did you just go out to your community and was just like, I'm looking for a big manufacturer in China to make... Unbelievable quality we, we, stuff.
2: We we did we did a lot of research. Yeah. So we, we we looked all. We did a huge amount of research in all of the best places to get sports apparel made. We looked at what factories all of the other big brands were using. Uh, we built up a portfolio of designers who had worked in a lot of the big brands. Uh, so yeah, we. This and then is, just start calling them up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the absolutely just start calling them up. Start trying to work out how the, how this whole thing works. Yeah. And. Uh, things just kind of worked out. Uh, we were we were quite lucky as well to have some some personal connections uh, with some of the members of our team that worked out quite well. And
0: uh, yeah, The traditional yeah. business model of apparel, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is cheap labor. I mean, that's what the garment industry it's in New York was built on. Yeah. It was built on people that will sew things that computers can't make and pay them cents. So how do you manage that kind of workflow? You must need cheap labor. It must have to be... You know, abroad in c- countries that potentially have bad working conditions. You know, Bangladesh comes to mind.
2: Uh, Absolutely not at all. In that we have been out to the factories, uh, we have been there, and actually, one of my colleagues. You know, they, they are very, very good conditions out there. Where, in people, where are these? Uh, so our major factory is in Taiwan at the moment. Okay. Uh, so that's a, you know they've got very, very good uh, laws there to make sure that uh, the, the conditions are good and. You know, we we have been out there ourselves to make sure that everything is above board, and uh, we've been on the on the factory floor a lot. And people don't really stand for that sort of thing anymore. You know, obviously people are becoming much more, uh, yeah, much more aware of 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 some of the issues that there have been in the past. And obviously, you can get you know, I'm sure some of the some of the kind of really cheap. Um, so. Apparel brands may well still go to those places, and but I don't think that our users would stand for us ha- having those sort of associations.
0: Yeah, and your price point is probably high enough where you can you can actually afford to pay. Absolutely, I mean yeah. it's it's
1: quality stuff. It's
0: sure. it's not yeah. just
1: it's not just cheap stuff. In yeah, Chi- th- China these days, well, China and Taiwan, it's like. Almost yeah. high, high, high-priced labor now. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> thinking know, when you mentioned China, is, it's like yeah. you,
0: you pay someone at Foxconn probably a reasonable yeah. price to a, sure. to assemble an iPhone. You're going to have yeah. to go somewhere further yeah. to get really cheap, you know, two-dollar t-shirts exactly, and stuff. Yeah. I guess that's where Bangladesh comes in. Yeah. Um, uh, what else did I miss when it comes to real questions?
1: Yeah, it's cool. I just maybe sort of, where do you see your guy yourself in sort of five years? Are you going to get into the sport tech or, you know, I think that's obviously, it's talked about so many times on this program, but yeah. it seems like your platform is sort of ripe to take, take advantage of some really cool technology in, in the sports arena.
2: Absolutely. Well, th- there's a lot of interesting technology out there. And actually David, who is uh, our kind of legal and strategy guy, he's, he's one of the co-founders of Tribe Sports he, he is spending a lot of time looking into kind of new technologies and a lot of, a lot of some of the really interesting sensor-based stuff out there. Uh, there. There's a lot of really interesting things going on in that. Uh, and there's a lot of, particularly with things like Kickstarter, it, it has spawned this whole new, new generation of people being very, very innovative, innovative around, around products. And uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something that we're, we're keeping an eye out for, for a lot of things.
0: Cool. What if what if Nike calls you up and we're like, we want it, we want Tribe Sports. Here's a hundred million pounds. Here's the check. <laughs> what do you guys do? Because there has to be a price where you know for your investors you exit, right?
2: Uh, I, who knows? Who knows? I think <laughs> a to, question, it yeah, is yeah, a hard. Yeah. It is a hard question. Who's <laughs> turning
0: down a hundred million? I don't know too many people, but but it would be tricky. Yeah. It would be tricky. You'd have to really, you know, it have to be the right fit. You'd have to sell to sure, community yeah. As well. yeah. I mean,
2: this this is our passion in that we're not just right. we're, we're doing sure. this because we genuinely believe in this as an idea, and we 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 we, we want to see people being more. I mean, that the it just makes us all feel so amazing when we see stories on our website of people literally having their lives changed by by taking some of the challenges and and using our platform to encourage themselves to to be more active and uh, so yeah it's it's something we we believe in in it as a as a movement
1: how how are you worried about scalability in terms of cash flow problems cuz you know these big players they're good at it because they have so much cash that they can sure cuz it's a heavy you know heavy inventory business right it, it is and, yeah and so
2: obviously knowing how much to order of what sure. and yeah. making sure that the the supply chain is effective is something that we have to be very very careful about uh jenna uh, our our president and my co-founder did a huge amount of research in in sort of making sure that all of the range planning so making sure that we ordered the right sizes of things and that we didn't want to end up ordering a whole pile of extra large and find out that everybody was small and we'd end up with a huge uh, stock that we couldn't sell. So yeah, absolutely. We need to be very careful about making sure that the supply chain is, is efficient and also with the, with delays and things, I mean, from going from nothing uh, to having a product uh, takes some time, you know, because not just, having to sort of kick up the machines to start milling the fabric, to putting it all together, but then sitting in a shipping container for eight, eight, eight weeks. Uh, it's, it takes a long time to get a product from, from an order right into someone's uh, lap. Yeah. Uh, so we need to be very careful to, to make sure that we order the right amount of everything and, and can scale that, that process as well.
0: There's a reason that, was it, Tim Cook is the president of, or CEO of, of Apple right now? Yep. I mean, he was their COO before. He's yeah. the one that made it all happen. Mm. And Apple doesn't exist unless they have their, jeez, their production. Their operations,
1: are, it's, it's insane. You it's, know, you look at Amazons yeah. and Apples and these guys that are just moving so much
0: product every single day. It's just incredible.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. There's yeah. a
0: reason he's the boss, because yeah, that sure. is the job of that company, really. Yeah. And one single element of that supply chain falls and, yeah, you could, you could write articles about that. You know, you guys are a global company, which is uh, interesting. You guys didn't say, okay, now we're going to decide to go to the U.S. or we're going to decide to go to Germany. I mean, you're selling things everywhere. When you look across the Atlantic at those um, damn yanks over there, w- what do you see that you like, what they're doing, that you wish you guys could emulate more, and what do you think that they do wrong when it comes to tech startups? Uh,
2: I think that one of the things, so I went over to San Francisco a bit uh, at the beginning of this year and ha- I just hung around there it was a it was a trip that a guy called Jack Gavigan organized a London to San Francisco trip the community out there is amazing um, one of the things that I would like to see us emulate more than any- anything is their attitude of paying it forward uh, so one of the great things about the community out there is everybody is out to help each other without the expectation of being directly paid back uh, Everybody wants to see each other succeed. They don't see it as a zero-sum game. They see that if they all help each other, then they will all succeed or that they'll all increase their chances of succeeding. I think that London has had that less, but I I think that I'm seeing huge changes in London and that that that, that kind of attitude of helping people and wanting to see each other succeed is is starting to take hold here. Uh, You know, with events that the Three Bears, I think, kind of represent that uh you know more than more than anything in those events really everybody is is so friendly and just wanting to kind of help each other so I definitely think that London is catching up on that but I'd definitely like to see that more
0: yeah it's a big part of uh, I just assumed it was happening everywhere in tech but I guess the traditional business way is not to do all these things, you know. I mean, this is a new media form, and like people are surprised when I get a call from like someone at sixty minutes, and I'm like, "Yeah, come in. You can have our footage. You can have this. We're not going to charge you." And they're like, "What?" We're used to fighting battles with each other, not trying to help, you know.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it definitely sort of areas where there's density in the ecosystem because you just you feel more like just engage with people, and that personality comes out when I see you or bump into you guys all the time or at events. You just become friends almost. It's not that sort of separated piece of you're just to someone else on the other end of the phone or
0: yeah. just want to help you further out. If you had to sign a non-compete like tomorrow and you could not work in the sports space anymore, <laughs> what, what would you go do in London? Like, what, what else do you think is exciting right now in London or in San Francisco as far as like a, a, a sector you would go get into? I mean, you're a CTO. You can go work anywhere.
2: I don't yeah. know. Sorry? I guess from two points of view. Uh, for one, a passion thing. I guess my two passions are sport and music i've always wanted to work on a music startup at some point uh, i would i would quite like to do that having said that though i think that's a really crowded sector at the moment and so unless you do something that is really really innovative i am just not sure that that's a good place to go at the moment um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there so maybe i'm wrong as far as kind of a you know, business side of it, I think the kind of sharing economy is, is the sort of stuff that's pretty hot right now. So obviously people having resources that they're not using all the time, whether it be you know, your apartment through you know, Airbnb or, or a car, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the States now where you can park your, your car at the airport and then somebody else can hire it while you're away. You get it back valeted and uh, people are doing it here with, you know, drive, you know, being able to park at your driveways. Uh, so I think the sharing economy and being able to kind of share resources at the moment is, is really interesting. And there's a, there's a lot more I think that's going to be done on that. Uh, How about sharing sports? Sports
1: attire, possibly or, uh, yeah. Some golf clubs. I'm, I'm or, uh, not sure I'd want to share.
2: Maybe somebody's sports. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe not clothing, undergarments, but, but uh, yeah, but absolutely. But yeah,
2: definitely yeah. things like tennis rackets sure, or something. Golf I mean, clubs, yeah, how sure. often do you use your golf clubs? Yeah, exactly. They probably sit and they take up room as well. Sure. I just yeah. moved flat, and uh, I moved. I when I moved there, I realized. There's a lot less storage than in the previous one. And so right. I've ended up uh, storing a little bit of my sports equipment at work at the moment, which thankfully being a sports company, I <laughs> okay. almost get away with.
0: Yeah. Cool. You know, we've seen companies in America that scale really well in America, and they've got a huge consumer base, and they do that, that, that really well. But a lot of times when they come to London and they come to Europe, they just don't get it right because there's something subtle about the marketing message or the way people buy or that kind of thing. And I was just wondering, what do you think that sometimes people get wrong when they come to Britain and they're like, we're just going to own this because it's the 51st state, they speak English, they've got a funny money. What do you think they get wrong when it comes to Europe or the U.K.?
2: I don't know. I think the, I mean, the UK are very forward thinking as far as internet usage, and in that e-commerce over here is is massive. I think we're one of, the, are we the biggest country in the world for e-commerce spend? For so people are for capita. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. capita. Yeah. Uh, so so people are a lot more forward thinking with that. There may be slightly less forward thinking about you know, those other things that we've talked about, maybe the, you know, the sharing economy. I don't think air, something like Airbnb is quite as big in somewhere like London as it is say in you know, San Francisco. Well it's illegal in New York, so I guess that's, <laughs> uh, that. Yeah, I think yeah. They, they, I think they brought in so New York has some uh, old law that makes it that you can't do short term leases. Okay. And I think it was some element of rent protection or something okay. that it was because they have rent protection, I think in some mm. of the apartments. And so they didn't want uh, people taking advantage and renting their their uh their sort of cheap apartment and sure. then making 10, money out of it. Ten grand a month on Airbnb. So yeah. the, the, anyway, there's some some law that uh, means you're not meant to do short leases, and I think they would sort of turned a blind eye to Airbnb a little bit. But I think they're starting to apparently clamp down on it. I don't know whether that's uh yeah how serious that seriously that's being taken, but that's that's what I've heard. Okay. Just
0: open up the door to someone else, you'd think, but. Yeah. If you had to make an investment in something in London right now, what, what's the sector do you think that we, we got right in the city or the one that's going to really go far if you had to put your own money into it? Well, so
2: I actually think at the moment, London is a big financial center. And one of the mistakes I think that we make in the tech scene is everybody in tech, well, not everybody in tech, but a large number of people in tech try and solve problems that they as tech people have. And that's why you see so many startups that are just another social media Platform, just another uh, Twitter client. What I think that people should be doing is they should be solving problems that they see in other sectors. And in London, obviously, the biggest one is, is finance. And so I think that London fintech is going to be big, it already is. Uh, you know, obviously, you guys uh, interviewed somebody from TransferWise. You know, I, I have a friend who's working in a, another kind of FX uh, startup. But a lot of people, some of our most talented programmers in London are actually working in the financial sector, and they're working in banks. Uh, I have friends doing this, and whereas they enjoy it and they get paid a lot of money, they don't get the same autonomy, they don't get the same uh, feeling of ownership as they, they would do in a startup. And so what I think you're seeing increasingly is these people are getting frustrated at maybe some of the kind of outdated processes that some of the big financial institutions have Uh, they quit their jobs they solve it externally and then you know they they almost sell the software back to the institution so I think that we're going to we're seeing that a lot I think we're going to see it a lot more and so I think that sort of fintech in London is is going to be it it, it already is and is going to be a big growth area and I think it's it's kind of obvious because there's a way of making money straight straight from the beginning. You don't need to work out uh, a strategy for monetization. Uh, you already have it because it, it's it yeah, is money. It, it yeah. is money.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, we've seen Twitter uh, that's going to IPO soon, and they've built up this huge, you could say, social network, this community over the last so many years, and yet they're still not profitable, like on a quarterly basis. You know, and, and I don't even know if Facebook is technically profitable yet, but you guys are in a similar space where you're trying to build up this community. You even said it earlier, communities first, communities first before we push this product or that product. What do you say if people say to you, it's great to do this, we're going to monetize it in the future, but we've seen so many people fail to do that. Um, How do you know you guys will do that? Uh,
2: Obviously, we don't know we'll do it, but we hope we will. Uh, We hope that more than anything, we hope that we'll be able to sustain it as, as a business, uh, and be able to keep our community going, because otherwise we'd be letting down the community and our users. Uh, so obviously we don't know the future, but we hope that uh, by working hard and by having a good team and by listening to our community and our customers that we will be able to 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 basically keep keep that going.
1: As a global community, do you guys think you need to be on the ground places other than just London?
2: So w- we do, yeah, in okay. that we,
1: we definitely... We can do a lot
2: from London, but we would like to have some presence. We had we had a presence for a while in Asia, so we had a guy working uh, from Singapore for a bit, which was great. Uh, so he grew the community quite a lot there. Uh, I think that we will probably at some point need uh, something something in the States as well. Um, probably, probably West Coast, a lot of the sports companies are there. So I'd, I'd say that that's quite likely. I think we'll m- more likely as well start to spend more time out there as well. But yeah, we, we see the UK and the US as probably our biggest markets. So I'd say that it's quite likely that we will have a presence out there at some point. And is it important? Uh, it's, it's not essential, but I think it is important, yeah.
0: I'm going to hit him with a bit of advice questions. Um, say there's a 20-year-old that's listening to us right now, and they're like, you know, I, I love hearing Andrew's story. I love how they did that. They read all the tech news we were talking about earlier. They want to grow up someday to be this big, you know, startup king. Well, what a piece of advice do you give them as far as what they should do? You know, if they want to be a CTO like you, if they want to be part of this, you know, startup tech community, what, what do you tell them they should do? Or even younger, even 15?
2: Well, as a tech person, I'd like to sort of see more people maybe trying to learn how to program uh, but programming isn't just it in that actually it's only a small part of what we do actually it's sometimes harder in London to find good good product people or good designers I think just getting people to find what they're good at and trying to pursue that and trying to just get really good at it and work out how the, the skills that they they have or can can develop can be used to to start businesses and to start to, to work on ideas. Uh, so yeah, I guess uh, sort of working, working on programming or, or cr- the creative side, I'm just getting code a little bit, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I, d- I don't know that, it, know how, how building a, an online product works. You don't necessarily. So my, my other founders, they, they don't know how to code, but they at least know the processes that go through to take an idea and, and make it into something. Uh, so it's not necessary know how to code but it's it's good to know how the process works but I think as a 15 year old I, I think that the, the advice would just be to try and go to a lot of events, talk to people. I mean, things like Silicon Drinkabite or something like that. Obviously, wouldn't recommend that to a 15-year-old because <laughs> it's in a bar. Uh, but there are a lot oh, of... Yeah, we're
1: in Britain. It's close enough. Yeah, yeah, it's close yeah. enough. Right. Uh,
2: there, are, there are a lot of other events uh, that, that happen for kids. You know, there's obviously Young Rewired State goes on. Uh, I, I would recommend people go and work on that. And again, it's, it's not necessarily it's not necessary to be a programmer there if you're a design person or if you want to learn how to be a product person, then, then something like that's a really good thing to, to get experience. But I think just more than anything, go and do stuff. Go, go to events. Go and talk to people. Uh, volunteer to help on something.
0: Okay, that's good advice. And if you had to give a call to the 20-year-old Andrew McDonough and give that kid some advice, what would you tell him to do differently?
2: Uh, so actually, strangely, I did my first start- startup almost as soon as I left university, uh, I, I kind of I'd always been interested in the web, and I wanted to be involved with it pretty much straight away. And I worked for a sort of I worked for a company which I didn't know was called a startup at the time, but it it kind of was back in Belfast. And I worked there for about nine or ten months, and then realised, hang on, I could do something like this myself. So I actually left and started working on a product, and uh, it didn't really work out in the end because I didn't really get it in front of people. So technically it was really good, but I didn't really have the confidence to sort of actually phone people up and try and get people to use it. Uh, so I think that my advice to myself as a 20-year-old would be to, to actually try and just, again, get out there more, put, put your software in front of people so that they can touch it and try and get them to use it. I just thought that I would be able to sit around and wait for people to discover my software, and well, then they What was the product? Uh, it was a product. The, the whole thing. Uh, it was a, the company. It, was, it sounds a bit twee, but the whole company was called Manage My World, and it was a suite of uh, it was a suite of products targeting small to medium enterprises. So it was sort of a, a software as a service solution online to help small businesses manage various aspects of their online presence. So this is by maybe uh, two thousand and two. So. Within it, so the suite of products, there was one called Manage My Content, which was a content management system, so a little bit WordPress-y that would allow people to, to, to create their own corporate website. Uh, there was a, a, a customer relationships management tool called Manage My Customers. Uh, there was a recruitment tool to help people do online recruitment called Manage My Recruitment. So it was a, a suite of tools, and I, I built them, and I thought they were really good, but I, I just didn't manage to get enough people using them. And in the end, I ended up running out of money and having to go and get a job again.
1: Good story. Yeah, that is a good story. Do, do you think that's a CTO versus a C, CEO sort of play, where maybe uh, everyone's looking for the technical co-founder, but maybe you, you needed the sales co-founder? Well, strangely, actually,
2: there, there is another aspect of that story, which yeah. is I, I, did find, I did go searching for somebody, and that was actually the biggest downfall of the company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I I, I recognized exactly the thing that you're talking about. And I I recognized that I needed somebody. At the time, I was only sort of 22. Uh, I realized that maybe people wouldn't take me, you know, companies might not take me seriously, although that was a mistake because I should have just got out there. I, I thought that sales was hard. And so I happened to, in the first bit of work that I did afterwards, I ended up meeting a sales guy who uh, who talked a big talk. He was about 10 years older than I was. And uh, I, at the time, thought that he was really good at selling software. So I uh, I decided to go into business with him uh, so that he would sell the software. Uh, he ended up not selling anything and uh, actually rinsed the, the, not the bank account. The bank account didn't have any money, but uh, I discovered after a few months that he had uh, rinsed the overdraft of the bank account uh, I'd taken about three grand out of it and then Probably. and then disappeared. So, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I learned yeah. the hard way and yeah. it kind of burnt me from doing any other startups myself until I was really ready again. Confidence. So I I, I, I worked for other small companies, but I wasn't ready to to make that sort of commitment again for another sort of six or seven years.
0: Yeah. Well, what's the biggest mistake that you see startups making in London? I think, well, possibly not talking to their
2: customers enough. I mean, I talked earlier about the fact that uh, a lot of people make things that are just focusing on targeting a, a tech market, which is a market that is, you know, those products that it's overcrowded. Uh, I don't think people sometimes make enough that just target normal people. And I think sometimes we we are in danger of not talking to normal people enough. We are a little bit in this bubble here, and so if I have an idea and I say to Colin, you know, this, this is an idea, he might think it's great, but that's possibly because he thinks in a similar way to me, and some, a normal person may, not, not, a, not that we're not normal people, <laughs> but uh, sure. somebody who is less tech-focused, might might not agree,
0: so yeah, that is a danger of this community sure. is that we all assume, like for example, we assume that you know what Kickstarter is,, but mm, yeah. probably a lot of people that don 't, or you assume mm, that sure. you use Twitter, you know that 's a very you know tech person to kind of using that yeah. stuff all the time yeah. it 's probably easy to forget there 's actually a real consumer there at the other end the, yeah, the, the other twitter
2: way. thing's interesting because so what, one of the things that I found interesting when we built tribe sports was. Uh, obviously, these days when you register for services, you can. a lot of places will allow you to sign up with, with Facebook, with Twitter and with your, your email address. One of the things that I wasn't expecting is we worked quite hard on integration with both Twitter, Facebook and with people signing up by email. Uh, when We looked at the figures after a couple of weeks, we realized that approximately 90, 95% of people were using the Facebook Connect button. Uh, about 8% were signing up with their email address. And sort of one or two percent were using Twitter. And that kind of gave us a, a real sort of eye, you know, a real vision in to the kind of integrations that we needed and showed us that actually Facebook uh, for a consumer startup it is massive and so we worked a lot a lot more on hooking into things like their API and and, and things like that.
0: Interesting. I just wanna know what's uh, what's next for you guys. Will there be more rounds of financing, any more Kickstarter campaigns? And then finally, how do people get a hold of you?
2: Uh, so the, the next thing for us in that we hope that with selling the products that we will be able to just keep plowing the money back in uh, we we're not we're not raising any more money at the moment. Uh, we hope that we'll be able to uh, go on without it. Um, yeah, so that that's that's the plan so we we've placed a large order of products. Uh, we've sold a good proportion of those, uh, but we still have a good stock left. Uh, we will keep ordering more. Trying to find new designers as well, new exciting designers. Uh, we're we're working with some very talented people already. Uh, finding more people, uh, finding more places to get stuff manufactured, new lines, new colors, and staying ahead of the technology as well. Uh, so yeah, we we just hope to to keep growing it, and uh, as well as well with it with the social network as well, uh, focusing more as well on well, not just the community, but helping people track a little bit more of what they're doing, uh, being able to visualize their training, and, and just anything that we can do to encourage people to, to be more active.
0: Will you use Kickstarter again?
2: Uh, possibly. I mean, it was a great platform for us. Um, we, we were launching a new product. We We probably wouldn't use it again for a for a similar thing, you know, in that I, do, I think it would be not the right thing to do if we were, say, launching another apparel range. But we wouldn't rule it out. Say we had, say we had an idea for, say, a hardware product or something. Uh, we wouldn't certainly wouldn't rule that out. That we would use it to as a way of of gauging whether something was was a good idea or not.
0: It's, it's fantastic. I mean, Kickstarter is such a weird mix yeah. of you know um, like social media, PR, and it's then tough. you get people to buy into it. It's hard to quantify what and it's so hard to is.
1: succeed too. So many people. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, just just fail, fizzle. Um, and it's you know I'm looking probably do a Kickstarter in a few weeks, and it's just like it's tough, man. It's like and, a and, mov- and, movie route.
0: like it, it has to happen that yeah, weekend. and it's right? also
1: you know you guys come from such a unique. Not unique, but very advantageous position where you already had that community. Sure, yeah. So you already had two hundred thousand people yeah, that you could get going, and so a lot of people that are doing Kickstarter are sometimes, you know, a piece of paper with an idea, sure, yeah, and a video, and they have you know friends and family and and Facebook friends, mm-hmm. but absolutely, uh, but yeah, that's that's you know. There's a huge advantage for you guys.
0: Dude, it's exciting stuff. So how do people find you? Uh, websites, Twitter, what's the best way for them to follow? What's going on with you guys?
2: Uh, so definitely tribesports.com is the best place to find us. Uh, we're tribesports on Twitter. We're tribesports on Facebook. Uh, we're also by Hoxton Station. Um, so if anybody in the area wants to come up and say hello... Uh, we're we're in there Uh, we're also as I say at a lot of events so I tend to go to Silicon Drink I guess are you guys coming this evening or are you
0: we're we're going to try right
2: so yeah so I guess there Uh, I'm I'm also more than happy to whenever I meet other people doing other businesses I mean Colin and I had a bit of a chat about Kickstarter as well Uh, you know people if people need to Need some advice on that or on tech. You know, I'm always happy to meet people for, for sort of coffee or a lunch or something like that.
0: And these products that you've, um, you've designed on the back of this Kickstarter, when will those ship?
2: So those are, those are currently in a container from Taiwan at the moment. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm a
1: backer. When do I get my stuff? You were uh, a backer. November. You were, right?
0: Yeah. You were, yeah. Yeah, yeah you were. Uh, I Colin, Colin puts his money where his mouth is yeah, yeah. so the, the product
1: should be here in November <laughs> and as a backer you will be so just the time. first to get it and go. uh, yeah got we'll some be... for my wife That's cheap birthday and Christmas presents 40% <laughs> off <laughs> e- 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 even, even more on Kickstarter it's yeah. 40% off when they go into the store exactly so maybe 80% yeah. off on Kickstarter excellent good yeah. what did I miss anything no I think that's great man I think it's a great story and uh, maybe you could end it off with you know you've had a great experience as a cto over the last four years i have yeah if you could maybe what's the one thing one advice you could give a cto about to start up a company right now that you've learned over the last four years
2: well i think the most important thing about being the cto is not the technical side of it it's it's actually the business it's the business side and it's being able to talk to people and understand the business process and understand the kind of consumer focus of their product and not just get caught up in code because it's quite easy for a technical person to get caught up in code and not see that there are people at the other side of it and the code is actually just an artifact of the fact that what we're trying to do is build something for people
0: good good well said i was funny because i was looking down and i'm asking him all these business questions and he's the cto but he answered all of them like flawlessly so yeah i guess you're living that you know because I guess you need all the people at the top with the same kind of vision, right? You yeah. all need to know where you're going. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. what you're doing, what you're doing. So.
2: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have, we have a great team and we have a very diverse team in that uh, we're not just all tech people. A lot of tech startups are, a lot, are very tech heavy, whereas uh, we're, we're kind of more focused on, on the consumer side. And so uh, the, the, fo- the founders in particular, my, my colleagues are very focused on, on, on s- sort of speaking to real people as well.
1: Four, co- four co-founders? Four co-founders, that's a lot. Yeah. So it a is. lot of people, you know, that's a lot of personalities to sort of give me a position I, sometimes. Is it, is it you guys just work? Would you advise new startups to keep it two, one? Three? No, we're,
2: we're, I, I wouldn't have. In fact, I'd almost have a fifth if I could do it again. Uh, no. We're really lucky because Steve, no. the CEO, yeah. uh, as I say, he's very, very, very passionate about sport, but his background is in accountancy and finance. Right. So he is very, very... So like, for example, when we raised our our investment uh, just about a year and a half ago, the first thing that he did afterwards was sit down with us and work out exactly where it was going to go and how long it was going to last, depending on different plans. Whereas a lot of startups, I guess, would just think, we got some money, we're going to go out and blow it. Uh, So he's very, very focused on on the numbers. Uh, David, again, with his background as as a lawyer, although he's more strategy now, can can make sure that with term sheets and things that we're not getting, we're not agreeing on something that we don't know about. Uh, he has a lot of experience in uh, in that, and then Jenna, my my other co co-founder, uh, her commercial experience and just absolute focus on on the market and and the fit and and what what the actual people want. Uh, so yeah, I I wouldn't have it any other way. Cool.
0: Wow, nice to see that working yeah. I love this story it's a homegrown like London success story I love how you guys are scaling and uh, it's a great it's example for yeah. you know what people can do here and to lose our inferiority complex to the states and all that stuff so thanks so much for being on here thank you for having me and being very honest he said he would be honest
1: yeah right? he did. <laughs> yeah, he did.
0: yeah. if you're uh, listening to us on iTunes you can come check us out on YouTube uh, you can see all of our smiling faces um, channel Silicon Real we are on Twitter at Silicon Real as well Yep. we're always looking for guest suggestions we're still looking uh, for for people with business development skills to hook us up, so tweet at us for that. Yeah. Um, what else?
1: Yeah, just keep listening. We're enjoying. It. This is fifteen. Fifteen yeah,
0: is fifteen 16. or sixteen. Sixteen. 16. 16. Yeah. We're
1: getting to that point where I forget.
0: sixteen. We've been uh, picked up for our second series. Second season. Th- third season. <laughs> third like, season. Like Breaking gone. Bad. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's great. Um, as we say, uh, it's about the people. That's yeah. our tagline, obviously. So uh, yeah, thanks guys for being here. Great, great talk. Yeah, great. It. Thank you. All right, take care. Thanks are taking ideas from the US and trying them out in Europe or do you find that things are completely separate uh, like you're own... no,
1: they're very integrated i mean the, the information sharing between kind of Europe and the US is uh, is constant we like backing concepts that are already working in the US we love taking companies to the US like Prezi and Issue and uh, and Podio that that are working in Europe and and can work as well in the US the US is the largest domestic market for uh, for software products right and...